0: Delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Episode 91 will take you inside Rupp Arena with the president and CEO of Lexington Center and Rupp Arena, Bill Owen. Decorated as one of the most hallowed venues in college basketball, Rupp Arena first opened in 1976 and as the years passed, the demands on the structure to stay up to date has increased. Oscar and Mr. Owen will address many of the issues concerning Rupp Arena, but first we'll get a brief history of Rupp and the role the arena and LCC has played in Lexington. We'll find out how coach Adolph Rupp had some influence on the first concert at Rupp Arena. Seating has always been a hot topic and Oscar and Mr. Owen will discuss that starting from the inception of the multicolored seats in the beginning and the seating renovations that will take place in the future you will learn about the operation budget wheelchair accessibility and seating and who's responsible for that aspect when it comes to ticketing and we'll look ahead to the future of Rupp Arena Mr. Owen will give you some information on the construction, the process, and a timetable of the renovations, including the chair back seats in the upper arena and access to the luxury suites. Rupp Arena is one of the top 15 arenas in the world and the largest sports arena in the country, hosting everything to everybody, including the Kentucky Wildcats, NCAA tournament games, Garth Brooks, college graduations, concerts, monster trucks, comic book conventions, and so much more. In 1976, Rupp Arena was referred to as a downtown dream come true. And today, that downtown dream continues to evolve. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House and his guest, Bill Owen.
0: Bill, there there are many people throughout America who say the downtown area of any city is the heart and soul. If that's so, then what role has... Rupp Arena and the Lexington Center Corporation played in
2: Lexington? Well, can you imagine downtown Lexington without Lexington Center and Rupp Arena? Uh, Yeah, I I would agree that a downtown is um, a a community signature, um, and it's everybody's neighborhood, and without a a vibrant downtown, it's hard to have a vibrant community. Um, You look at Rupp Arena and Lexington Center. We're visited by approximately a million three hundred thousand people a year. Um, the uh, economic impact, last time it was measured in two thousand eleven, just from conventions, not including RUP, is uh, was forty two million dollars a year. Um, Rupp's probably another thirty or forty million dollars. The jobs that it supports, uh, the activities, the entertainment, the culture, the sports, the, the educational opportunities—just what it contributes not only to downtown but indeed the entire city. Rupp opened
0: in nineteen seventy-six. Nineteen seventy-six, I
2: think. November nineteen seventy-six, as I as, as I recall, the the opening game was against Wisconsin, and Correct. and that time the the Cats beat them. <laughs> uh, the planning
0: started many years before that, though. Tell me a little bit about the history, what brought it together, how the city and and the university decided that this would be a, a partnership that would be good for both parties.
2: Well, it's a little bit of a long story. I'll try and and, and speed to give you a Reader's Digest version. You know, it actually goes back to the 1960s when uh, the General Assembly authorized cities, first and second class cities in in uh, uh, Kentucky. Uh, to levy a transient room tax on hotel rooms. And that would generate, the idea was, it would generate a a revenue source by which those cities could uh, finance and pay for and operate convention and meeting facilities. Uh, And uh, Lexington got involved with that in the late 1960s, and they were pursuing that. Uh, At the same time, uh, the university was looking at an aging uh, More Coliseum, uh, Stahl Field was already very aged, and uh, uh, there was a group of of community and UK supporters uh, that came up with this idea of a a new stadium and a new arena to replace Stahl Field. And
0: uh, I think uh, they sort of uh, took, took, before, uh, they, 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 took
2: they took it to Governor Nunn. Uh, Doctor Singletary was president of the university and. Uh, when uh, Governor Nunn asked Dr. Singletary about uh, how the university felt like, his interest was in football, uh, and and that got uh, uh, that got uh, Commonwealth Stadium underway, but it kind of left uh, the basketball arena sitting out there. And and I
0: understand at one time there were actual architectural drawings showing oh yeah arena next to the stadium.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was and and that that kind of that response kind of surprised the the folks that uh some of them still are with us uh that that took that plan to the state for funding but it opened the door uh for them to take it to the city of Lexington and lump in a uh convention center and retail facility and do it downtown uh, very much frankly like Mac- Madison Square Garden where where there would would be meetings and conventions and and activities beyond sports and uh, uh, entertainment. And uh, that led, I guess in 1972 or three, uh, there was funding available for uh, through, through housing and urban development um, uh, for uh, cleaning up blighted areas. Uh, that was a warehouse district. The railroads had, uh, they were trying to get the railroads moved off of Vine Street and out of downtown uh and so just the momentum of that from i'm going to say 1970 to 1973 uh began what ultimately led to acquiring property uh designing the building and getting it underway
0: how did the revenue come together for that project
2: well it was a mixture of revenue uh from uh, uh issuing bond just uh, bond indebtedness uh there revenue was a, bonds the revenue bonds there was a little bit of money that came in uh, as a result of that uh, that federal grant uh, uh, opportunity uh, and uh, the the revenue from the building and from the facilities including rent from the hyatt regency hotel rent from the shop spaces uh, uh, income from the conventions and meetings although they they really don't they generate uh, jobs in hotel rooms uh, or in hotels and restaurants, but uh, they don't generate a, a positive revenue source uh, for the facility. But parking revenue, uh, revenue from uh, University of Kentucky as the primary tenant at Rep Arena, uh, and the revenue from sale of concessions.
0: What was, the, what was the first part of the Lexington Center to open? Was it the arena? Was it the hotel? It was the arena.
2: It was the arena open first. And uh, and I think the, uh, Heritage Hall, I think opened, and this is before I was there. I was in, I've been in the community since 1954 uh, as a toddler. But uh, uh, from memory, I know the arena opened first, um, and I think the hotel completed and opened last.
0: The uh, at the time that it opened, I think the first performance was actually. Not a basketball game.
2: Is Lawrence Welk? Lawrence Welk. La- Lawrence Welk and Adolph Rupp were personal sur- friends.
0: Okay, yes.
2: Tell me the rest of the story. Well, they were personal friends, uh, and and um, uh, Coach Rupp. I don't know how they became acquainted, but he was anxious to get involved and bring Lawrence Welk, and that's when you you know you could watch the Lawrence Welk show on I think it was on Sunday evenings. Sunday evening, correct. And. Um, uh you know the uh, so they uh put that together and and that launched the the concert business at Rup Arena.
0: A lot of people don't know this, but when it Rep Arena opened, uh it's it's uh, there's quite a few more seats in there that was than was in there that very first evening. You you've added to it two or three times.
2: We've we added seats in um two thousand one. Uh, we converted uh, uh i think uh four hundred and twenty four seats on the end riser uh towards main street to the eruption zone where eight hundred and seventy five or so of uh, capacity are there. We added some rows in the lower arena uh we in two different uh moves we we created the the, the press box overhanging the upper arena that opened the uh, uh, scholarship endowment seats. Uh, you know, those on the floor, I call them the, the Jack Nicholson, Spike Lee seats.
0: I've noticed they've been selling for pretty good prices on the single-game allotment the last couple of weeks from U.K.
2: Have they? I, I yeah, don't they, follow They sold
0: the UNC Greensboro, the old mini seats in the end zone, where I yeah. used to see it, yeah. and they were $500 a game. Wow. And supposedly the uh, Utah game, According to their website, uh, their Twitter account, UK's Twitter account, was going to go for two thousand
2: dollars for that game. Oh my goodness! Yeah.
0: <laughs> the uh, I often wonder now because the new media overhang uh-huh. from the lower end, really nice. I mean, I, I'm I'm just wondering how long before someone in UK market and say, you know what, this can bring some serious dollars if they had uh, table service say.
2: Yeah, well, it, it it gets you off the gets some got the media off the floor and there were some concerns about that, but uh it is it is a big improvement in my view for media operations and for someone to be able to set up their laptop and uh you know, access the internet and and record uh their story or whatever it is or 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 just it I think UK puts a lot of professional scouts uh on one side uh, that gets them out of the normal seating environment and is more convenient for them. Speaking
0: of Wi-Fi, do we have it 100% for everybody? Yeah,
2: I, I, we're, we should have. We should have. I mean, we monitor it, and, and um, uh, it, we, we it installed the high-density Wi-Fi as part of the, 19, the 2016 renovation that brought the center hung and the ribbon board, and uh, it's designed to uh, uh, allow uh, streaming video to, you know, ten fifteen thousand 15,000 people simultaneously.
0: Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Lexington Center Corporation uh, engulfs Rupp Arena?
2: Rupp Arena. Convention Center? Shops at Lexington Center, um, the uh, Heritage Hall and the Convention Center, uh, Hyatt Regency, Triangle Park, Lexington Opera House, and about 3,000 surface parking spaces. How how, how
0: big a, a, a budget does, say... The opera house have what? What? What works on that for you?
2: Uh, well, you know, to separate it by itself, it's it's it, it's hard to. Uh, Lexington Center's overall operating budget is about nineteen million dollars a year. Uh, if I had to say how much of that would be the opera house component, it's probably two and a half. Um, are all
0: are all of them? Running into
2: black, yeah, I pretty much. Well, a convention center cities have to support convention centers with subsidies, and and that's a that that just happens um, because they're um, because it's involved and wrapped up into rep arena. That subsidy comes from the rep arena concession stands. Uh, you know, the city since two thousand, the city has not had to fund any money from the general fund. Into, into Lexington Center. Now, we do receive a, a portion of the bed tax, the transient room tax, but um, uh, in 2006, there was a, a renovation uh, that we conducted at the Opera House. Uh, the Lucille Caldwell Little Foundation gave us a $500,000 grant, but it was a matching grant, and the city uh, matched that uh, with five hundred thousand dollars to support that renovation, uh, we did a capital campaign and raised another four hundred thousand dollars. So the city's five hundred thousand dollars was matched almost two to one. Uh, and uh, but other than that, the uh, the city has not had to for the last eighteen years routinely put money into Lexington Center. Uh, with the project that we're Uh, put together now with our uh, you know people call it a renovation it's not a renovation it's a convention center replacement Um, and maybe we can go into that a a little bit further Um, this the city did put in 30 million dollars into that 305 million dollar project along with 60 million dollars from the commonwealth so in terms of supporting capital uh, projects the 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 city's been very involved with Lexington Center over its forty three year history, but operating standpoint it's kind of designed to to pay its own bills
0: there' been a lot of improvements over the years at Rupp and, particularly when you get into uh, people who come with handicaps. Uh, you had some handicapped things down on the floor originally, but you didn't have the areas up above the lower level where they come in and seat.
2: No, we've we've expanded accessible wheelchair seating. Uh, we've really improved mobility um, uh, challenged uh, with uh, you know retractable armrests on the on aisle seats and and things like that. Uh, but um, we take that that responsibility seriously.
0: I have several people from time to time that ask me about that. Is that a responsibility of Ruff Arena or UK? as to how you apply for those type of seats and how they're awarded?
2: Uh, that's the UK for UK basketball games. It's, it's uh, Lexington Center and Rupp Arena for everything else. Uh, if, if the everything else, like concerts, we've always got the floor uh, to accommodate uh, wheelchair accessibility as well. Uh, the, uh, but in terms of how it's ticketed uh, for UK games, that's UK's ticket office. How about parking? uh parking has been uh, kind of mixed uh the uh, uh we're moving in under the new right to use agreement that we've entered into with UK uh last spring uh we are moving to a more transitional where where UK has a control of more of the parking but even for game days you know we've got parking obligations to hyatt we've got parking needs ourselves for employees and and uh, game day personnel uh so uh, uk uh, controls a a an amount of parking but not 100 percent of the parking and once uh, their amount is satisfied then it's public parking uh, just like it has been uh, for the entire history
0: in, into the current remodeling, or however you want to call it, as far as Ruppering Arena is concerned, give me a give me a little bit of an explanation of what you're actually doing and a timetable as to when each step will be met.
2: Well, I guess the first thing that happens is that we we've already accomplished a significant amount of improvement with the the technical technology. Uh, the digital media, the center hung, the replaced bertha, the, the sound system, and uh, put in the high density Wi Fi. The next thing you'll see inside, following uh, uh, the FFA, Kentucky FFA chapter meeting next June uh, 14, 2019, the arena will close down until uh, October 1st to convert. Um, uh, about uh, 8,000 seats uh, uh, from bleachers in the upper arena to 5,200 chairback.
0: When you say convert 8,000, how many current seats are in the upper deck?
2: Well, 13,000. Uh, no, the the uh, the upper arena now 13,016. Uh, after the conversion, it will be 10,004. So there's about twenty five, twenty nine hundred seats gone. The a bleacher code requirement for a bleacher is twenty three and a half inches. So the the tread depth of the upper arena is is nominally about twenty four inches row to row, uh, and you can't put a chair back on that. The code requirement to have uh, required uh, room to get in and out of the the row uh, is. Uh, at least 32 inches requires at least 32 inches in most cases 33 inches which is what the lower arena is to allow that chair to retract and be able to walk in front of it between the the seats Uh, so you can't uh, you can't just take the bleacher off put chair backs on you have to completely replace the tread Uh, so we've got uh we we've got a system that's coming actually it's it's a company that in shively kentucky that builds it Uh, and they've deployed it uh, opened uh, first year university of cincinnati's arena i went up there and took a look at it and and it's a terrific piece of engineering um, to where we will overlay the existing uh, uh, concrete riser and treads with this new system and it's got a different geometry and as you take, replace that 23 and a half inches with 32 and a half inches, when you get to the top, you wind up with less rows.
0: So basically what you're saying is what you got in five rows now, you may get in four rows exactly. in the future. Yeah, exactly. Are the seats going to be the same width? Will it be a lot uh, smaller? No,
2: the seats, the, the, the seats are, are 19 and 20 inches wide. That's uh, pretty much an industry standard. Um, with the bleachers... What
0: are the lower ranges?
2: they're um uh they're mostly 20 and 21
0: when you say 20 and 21 so there are different seats different widths
2: well basically when when they lay all that out and you've got certain space and you're dealing with a 43 year old structure that that cannot that was not built as precise as they can be built today you get different widths of between the armrests and and just the, the, the way the seat is constructed, it's constructed to give the installer that kind of flexibility. Uh, it's generally 20 inches. Um,
0: Would you say 20 inches is a general industry standard for new arenas that are built today, or is it more or less?
2: Uh, they're usually wider in the lower arena than they are in the upper. Uh, the seats going into the upper arena are molded plastic. They're not uh, cushioned upholstered. Uh, made by the same company, Irwin Seat Company, and they're they're very, you know, at just uh, the uh, they've just completed. Um, it's going to be a, a a quantum leap in terms of comfort above the bleacher. Uh, those 5,200 seats will have cup holders, for example. Uh, the uh, there will still be in the upper arena. Um, well, let's see here there will still be 8,200 bleacher seats on the ends. Uh,
0: Speaking of that, were were you revenue challenged as far as budget and turning them all into chair backs, or were there other challenges?
2: Really what drove that was capacity. Uh, We didn't want to drop below 20,000 seats, uh, uh, total capacity. Um, You know, we have a saying down there, you're you're, uh, – your imagination is only controlled by your checkbook (laughs) Uh, and and revenue always has an impact on what you're able to do in in our business or indeed in any business but what drove that uh, was really more uh, really more about uh, uh, capacity and it's something that I've wanted to do you know we did a, a a pretty major renovation to Rupp in 2000 we changed out the orange and Yellow and Florida and LSU-colored seats and Tennessee-colored seats put in all blue. Well, we repl-
0: the I've been asked this many times. Have you uh, found in your history of, of hanging around rough Arena over the years before you got here, what drove those colors originally?
2: I think it was 70s. You know, you remember Shag Carpet? You remember, shag, you remember, burnt orange shag carpet. I
0: remember burnt orange ever since I knew there's a state called Tennessee below. Us.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think that it, I think that it was a '70s color palette that a, that an architect from so many, some
0: designer from the a, West Coast, an architect, from,
2: it. an architect from Minneapolis, L.R.B. Beckett uh, Architects. They came up with the color scheme, and and everybody, and I remember walking in the first time. I said, "Why in the devil they put Tennessee colors in here?" And and all of the uh the the air ducts and the, the ceiling support towers were red. Uh so it took me a while to get all that color out of there and get it all blue, but but finally got it done. But we did that improvement in two thousand, uh, put in the upper arena concourses and some other things, put in video for the first time. And I have a vivid memory, Oscar, of, of uh advancing through uh our city council and to the General Assembly asking for support for that project, because we needed support of both. And uh, uh Coach CM Newton, the athletic director, um, standing at the at the, the podium in city council and, and making this statement. Um it's a myth that you can't get tickets to UK basketball games. It's a reality that you can't get good tickets. And getting a good ticket on a bleacher is just not something you're going to be able to accomplish. So we were advancing this conversion way back then in 2018 years ago. Was the
0: money just not there?
2: Well, we got to the General Assembly and the General Assembly was reluctant to give us support or me, certain members of the General Assembly were reluctant to, to give us support if we were going to reduce capacity. Uh, they felt like, maintaining 23,000 seats was important. Uh, so we took that off of the list uh, and didn't accomplish it at that time.
0: I, I guess it's a myth also if fans thought that you could have an improved facility uh, without it necessitating money and who's going to pay for it. The season ticket holder, to state.
2: Exactly. And, and of course, what drove that renovation uh, was, uh, uh, and that kind of segues into to the different lease structures we've had over the last 43 years. But uh, UK engaged HNTB architects to do an evaluation of renovating uh, Memorial Coliseum uh, or renovating Rep Arena or building a new on-campus arena in 1997, I think. Uh, and the on-campus arena was smaller than Rupp was.
0: Let's talk about that a little bit because I, I remember uh, the former coach, Rick Petino once he won the title in 96, that become high on his list of things to do, was wanting a new facility. And I think Dr. Charles Weddington was president at the yeah. time. Yeah. And uh, I know there was there a was, there was pretty good battle going on there of whether to try to renovate up, build a new on-campus facility, which Rick was really wanting, or it ended up being sort of status quo, and then we come around and visit that again when John Calipari gets here in 2009. He talks about wanting to uh, build an arena pattern after the one at Pittsburgh, which had some, I think, suites down on the floor. So I guess you all sort of been hit with this. I say you, or, or the city council, or the uh lcc board uh about what you're going to do to the future and you've come up with this now what is our timeline for when everything's going to be
2: done well i'll give you some some key dates uh, of course we're under construction uh now and and you can go to the to the man off manchester street and Oliver lewis way and just see a, a massive uh construction underway uh relocating sanitary sewer uh, storm sewer, Windstream, Columbia Gas, um, uh, AT&T, Kentucky Wired, and, and just a huge amount of excavation, actually boring underneath the south abutment of the Jefferson Street Bridge, which has been removed, uh, boring underneath Town Branch, where it is in the box culvert there in that big parking lot, uh, and all of that's underway. We target the uh, beginning of next season, November 1, to have some amount of the uh, hospitality club areas uh, on the west side of the arena available for use. Uh, the next big thing that comes along would be May of 2020 with delivery of the new 100,000-square-foot exhibit hall that is at the high street level attached to the arena at the concourse level. Um, the next milestone is delivery of some of the ballrooms, the uh, new convention center kitchen and uh, uh, some of the meeting rooms uh, and the new grand ballroom and lobby on Main Street next to Mary Todd Lincoln, October of 2020, and then full project completion, November 2021. So we're about three years off.
0: When, when will we see the chair back seats?
2: The chair back seats should be available for use uh, beginning with next season uh, uh, November, In other words, November they, they should be ready for 19. madness they should be ready for madness nineteen yep yeah.
0: uh, what happens to the civic center shops?
2: The civic center shops actually with phase two and and with retirement and uh, uh, other things going on, the civic center shops are down to Kentucky corner, old Kentucky chocolates. Yesterday's, Sunset Strip, uh, Arby's, Subway, and I think that's it. So there are three or four food and beverage merchants, and and only Cat Couture opens just during the season, but only two full-time shop spaces. So essentially they've already gone, uh, you know Lexington Center because Lexington Center got involved as the, in in the retail landlord business, taken over uh, as I said previously in uh, in ninety one. Uh, they never just running a retail establishment is was never in their primary business model. And if you think about it, the largest retailer on the planet doesn't even have a store, uh, so it doesn't make sense for us to pursue a retail component with our facilities. We we, operate, we want to operate the arena, the convention center, the opera house, and support activities for that. So the shops will go away. However, there are a couple of spaces in the new plan for uh, casual uh, dining, uh, food and beverage, and maybe a convenience, you know, sundries uh, type shop.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the suites, the luxury suites. Okay, what they really are, what they're perceived to be, and what the general public understands being.
2: Well, there are four of them. Uh, uh, all but one will be available for use for uh, everything else, from you, you know, know uh, tractor
0: uh, pools or whatever. Well,
2: no, yeah, yeah, they'll be available if 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 we want to do a uh, you know a an activity. Uh, Prior to a concert, uh, hospitality activity prior to concert, if a convention wants to come in and use one of them for a reception or a meeting, uh, they are different sizes. Three of them are on the west part, uh, west side of the arena, uh, underneath the uh, uh, new exhibition hall, and will be accessed from either uh, the parking on that side, underneath the exhibit hall, uh, or... From the concourse, and you can go to uh, www.lexingtoncenter.com and and look at diagrams, look at pictures, and images of the new project uh, that are reparena.com. There's a a live webcam where you can actually watch the construction uh, being conducted uh, 24/7. So, uh, uh, but and they're different sizes. Um, They on game day they will be uh, used by the university. Uh, and at their discretion, and, and one of them uh, will be like, you know, like UK's locker room; it'll be off limits for us to use. Uh, but the other three will be able to program for other activities. But it's an idea of a uh, of a a bunker club. They, they refer to them as, as bunker cu- clubs, but you can think of it as a as a uh, uh, stepped up hospitality area. Uh, but
0: none of these. Will you be able to look through a glass and see the actual no, floor? No,
2: you will not you will not see your your connection to the to the seating bowl itself will be. So you'll have ser- to be walking video.
0: through a clearance area to show your ticket to get back into the rent.
2: No. No, once once you're inside the club on game day, you're inside ticketed space.
0: Oh, okay. So you have to have a game ticket to get in there. Is that what you're saying? You
2: will. Well, now that'll be at the discretion of the University of Kentucky. Uh, but but the idea, uh, the way that it's laid out with where we would put magnetometers and ticket takers and access. If you want to go to the club uh, from outside, uh, you would go. You, you would have to surrender a ticket to be scanned, uh, if you're already in the arena, you've already surrendered your ticket to be scanned.
0: Uh, am I correct in, in saying that uh, current NCAA SEC regulation, this is an area where alcohol can be sold? It's
2: similar to the Woodford Reserve Club at uh, Commonwealth Stadium. I, I think the way that it's programmed. It, but you it,
0: wouldn't be able to take a glass out? No. they with you no. and go into the arena?
2: No, you would not. We were talking about that, uh, you know, the 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 new arena and kind of what drove the renovation in two thousand. You know, people forget. I think actually we we modified uh, the the UK lease and entered into a new lease in nineteen ninety eight that gave the University of Kentucky the right to purchase Rupp Arena. That was one of the things that they were looking at, and uh, they got an appraisal. Uh, of, uh, or the, as a the provision provided, the University of Kentucky got a provision, got an appraisal on Rupp Arena of uh, $5,900,000. And, and your appraisal? Lexington Center got an appraisal, uh, assuming UK is a tenant, $17,800,000, and assuming UK was not an, uh, a, uh, uh, a tenant, twelve thousand or $12,900,000. And we were at the point where uh, the two appraisers selected a third appraiser to try to arbitrate and meet in the middle somewhere. And within six months of each other, uh, Dr. Withington stepped down as president, C.M. Newton retired as AD, Tom Menner retired as president of Lexington Center Corporation, and uh, Coach Patino moved to the Celtics. <laughs> so you had a whole different dynamic and a whole different bunch of people that were the players in... Uh, resolving that and uh, uh, Larry Ivey he wasn't particularly interested stepping into the new role with the burden of a new arena under construction I think Dr. Todd was not interested in that role Uh, we were already working on a 35 million dollar expansion to our and renovation of our convention facilities so we added 20 million dollars for the renovation of Rupp Arena, and it kind of put all that to to, to bed and and quieted all of that. Um,
0: At least for about 10
2: years. Yeah, well, it kind of quieted all that. And I've often thought about, you know, for example, had uh, had the University of Kentucky uh, owned Rupp Arena, the programming for other activities. We played Garth Brooks four years ago, and he played two shows on Friday and two shows on Saturday that was attended by over 70,000 people. And on Sunday was an exhibition game against Pikeville, and had the university owned it, would that have been possible? Most likely, no. Would that have been possible to book Garth Brooks for seventy thousand people to to experience and enjoy uh, a day before? A, they a probably had
0: had the expertise to even make it happen.
2: Well, no, I th- they they could do that. I went to when I was at UK from sixty nine to seventy three. I went to a number of concerts at Memorial Coliseum. Mm-hmm um uh, and uh and and they but were not sit days though. well, just the turnover yeah but but that whole idea of uh of that and and occasionally the the idea of a of an on campus arena comes up i'm i'm not naive to think that we would ever quiet that uh but uh you know if if you think about the the burdens of operating uh an arena and responsibility for an arena basically. University of Kentucky has enough to deal with with just game day activities, and uh, uh, they're absolved from you know a, a lot of issues uh, operationally. At that
0: time, you didn't have a YUM Center in Louisville. You still had Freedom Hall. Right. Uh, almost 10 years later, give or take six to eight months, you have this to come up again when John Calipari comes aboard. Uh, but at this time... By now, you've got a new Yum Center that was just going into effect, and as the years came by, three, four later, it started coming out what kind of a deal U of L had in a lease agreement with the Yum Center people, which was very, very lucrative on U of L's part and very and much, very much a detriment to the Yum Center people trying to pay off the bonds. How much, if any, did that play a role? in renegotiating the new current lease between Lexington and Utah. Well, the
2: original lease back in 1976, and the most amazing thing about it is that first line, this lease shall remain in effect for the University of Kentucky's 76-77 and 77-78 basketball seasons and shall automatically renew for an additional two-year periods under the same terms unless either party decided not to. So it was a two-year lease. I, I don't know how they got Lexington Center financed. <laughs> Uh, way back then, uh, with a what time could have been a, a two year lease and and uh, it provided uh rent for each game was a thousand dollars and it was based on ticket revenue plus uh ticket revenue above four hundred and thirty thousand two hundred and twenty eight dollars but not to exceed one hundred and nineteen thousand six hundred and twenty dollars and then after that seventeen and a half percent of ticket revenue in excess of that $549,000. I think
0: there was something like a 50-cent bonding fee or something.
2: And plus a 50-cent per sold ticket bond fee. So the university was not convinced in 1976 that they would fill it, and they were concerned that they would lose money versus what they were getting at Memorial Coliseum. So the whole structure was designed to give them 100% of everything to equal where they were at Memorial Coliseum. But after that, Lexington Center and the university would share in ticket revenue.
0: I'd always heard Otis Singletary say years later that all he wanted from the city was to assure him that they would not make any less money from the sale of tickets at Rupp than they did at the Coliseum, which he didn't think they would sell out.
2: They, it, it was a concern. I mean, you were going from 11,500 to 23,000 seats, and, and, and obviously they, they were, it was justifiable to be concerned. Uh, but, uh, you know, the the, the time has told that that it has been immensely successful uh, from a a ticket sale. So that, and as ticket prices rose, that's really what drove that whole activity. Well, if we can build a new arena on campus and have enough ticket revenue and and revenue from the arena to pay for it, why wouldn't we do that? And and that, that kind of, uh, motivated that lease renegotiation that gave UK the option to purchase and established the the rent on a per game basis at $25,000 adjusted for consumer price index annually and uh, last year was the last year of that structure and the rent was uh, $37,570 Per what day.
0: is it under the new agreement?
2: Well, under the new agreement, it's a it's a different structure. It's it's a lump sum annual payment of a million nine hundred thousand dollars for 28 events. Uh, the uh, uh, those 28 events, 22 of them have to be men's and women's basketball games uh, with a minimum of 16 men's games. Uh, it's blue white, uh, big blue madness. Uh, and described in the agreement as the tip-off dinner. Well, they since have have decided they want to substitute the tip-off dinner with uh, gymnastics e- excite night because it was so successful at Rupp Arena last year. So they've they've taken that that private event and made it another uh, public event, which I think is very positive. Uh, Our and, graduation and exercises included and three commencements, uh, one in the winter and two and two in the spring. So those are the twenty eight events uh that take place.
0: People that I talk to over there say privately that uh the negotiation and the agreement this time was so uh I don't want to say the word lucrative, but so much to their liking they couldn't afford to pass it up. Is that accurate or not?
2: I don't know. I, I don't know. I you know, I you know my you know my bride Debbie. Yes, and I liken I liken our relationship for forty three years with the university to my marriage to Debbie for forty six years. Uh, That's a long time for both. It <laughs> is a long time, and I know, I, I, and and you know, it's like a long term marriage. It's not that, that, it ha- that there haven't been periods of, of bliss and periods of contention, but on balance, both of you are better off for the relationship. And I think the city of Lexington and the university, through the relationship at Rupp Arena, both have benefited uh, enormously.
0: Well, that was going to be one of my questions later on, but I'll just go over bit. How would you describe the relationship between LCC, the governor's office, the city council, and U.K. administration today?
2: Uh, well, I, you know, we have... We don't have relationships that intertwine all four. We have relationship. We Lexington Center have relationships with each, but, but not which intertwine all four. I'll start with uh, with the governor's office and the General Assembly. Uh, there was one project that Governor Bevan put in his budget when he first stepped into the governor's office, and it was uh, the, con- the Lexington Convention Center project. Uh, that, that's the only capital project that that was included. And uh, just the the Commonwealth has been uh, a huge benefit to getting this underway. Uh, And uh, uh, with two things, one, enabling legislation to adjust the transient room tax that generated a funding source for some additional debt, and two, a direct $60 million investment. Now, there's a provision in our agreements where over time, the Commonwealth gets paid back that sixty million dollars, but it just it wouldn't be happening without it. Our relationship with the city, uh, you know, the we're a city agency, and and we we uh, our accountability is to city government. Uh, but there again, with this new project, the city has put in uh, under Mayor Gray, and the outgoing council has put in thirty million dollars commitment. Uh, Uh, mayor-elect Linda Gorton uh, served uh, two terms on our board of directors as vice mayor Uh, she's well aware of our operation there are two uh, city council members on our 13-member board that serve ex officio or because they are city council people and uh, so there is a a connection there that's very uh, firm and solid and always has been Uh, and then with the University of Kentucky uh, you know we're When it comes down to game day operations and planning and uh, accommodation to uh, patrons and fans and their clients and their customers, uh, it's two staffs working harmoniously together to achieve those common goals. Uh, Similar to Kentucky High School Athletic Association when we do the Sweet 16. I mean, it's two, the athletic staff at UK and the Lexington Center staff, they work as one unit. Uh, and, and I would call the, the uh, relationship uh, excellent.
1: You've just finished listening to episode 91 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. There's more with Bill Owen and Oscar coming up in episode 92 of Conversations, but I encourage you to go back and listen to some great episodes available to you. Guests such as Roger Harden, Kenny Walker, Larry Stamper, Governor John Y. Brown, and Terry Mobley. Those episodes and more can be found at OscarCombs.com. All episodes are also available for free on your mobile and home devices. Search for at Wildcat News on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and subscribe for free. The Big O on Twitter, he's at Wildcat News, trucking the cats. I'm Bill Robinson, and I thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go big boy.